And we're live. Uh, this is Face, Liberty, and Praxis, Season 1, Episode 19. I'm with my friend Belkov. Belkov, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Hello, everyone. Uh, how are you doing, Caleb? I was, uh, I'm doing great. I did not go to work today, and so I spent all day alone reading books, and I, I am so bored. I'm like, I gotta talk to somebody today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, this is, let's read out, like, I'm bored, let's do something, and you were like, I can do it. I'm like, okay, great, Bill yeah, and I are gonna talk about something. We don't know what yet, but we're gonna find a topic, and we're yeah. gonna talk about it, it's gonna be great. Just before we started, we were talking about, uh, I think, audiobooks, uh, and you were talking about discussion you had with your friend, I yes. believe. Yeah, so my friend, very uh, ways Protestant, like mm-hmm. me, same church, same Boy Scouts, same. No, this I'm about six years old. Everything we did, Boy Scouts, school, all of it, same. Mm-hmm. When we both started questioning Protestantism, I went Catholic, he went atheist. Um, okay. And he doesn't do this book on uh, sex. It's a sex book, but not like a smut. It's not smut. It's a, mm-hmm. like a, it's a, it blames things of why women can't reach climax on the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, the time. And I'm reading Theology uh, of the Body. So the both oh, these books. Oh, yeah. So both these books that we're leading listening to are trying to deal with the same thing. People mm-hmm. who have material, who demonize sex to be only just a physical action, and mm-hmm. people who are so icked out by sex they don't want to partake in it. Mm-hmm. But both our books blame the other side, <laughs> and both yes. our books have the, like very similar conclusions, except mine adds religion to it, his adds psychology. Mm-hmm. And I tried we listen to we're in work truck, we work together, and he's listening to the book. And I'm like, you know. Chris and Russ is the same thing. Like, well, I'm sure it's not the same thing because he doesn't want them to agree because he wants <laughs> to blame it on religion. And so he doesn't want us to be agreeing on things. And so he has to just throw <laughs> out, like, like it, it, it's it's frustrating. But it, my problem with this book, I listened to it with him. It's like, they're not, like Fraser points out in, in Materiality of Mind, in, in the um, Introduction to the uh, Philosophy of Mind, they're not making any actual, like, final or, or proper causes. So they're pointing to, like, historicism and then materialism, materialism and then the ending it there. They're never mm-hmm. like actually going further to yes. as he says at one point in the books he even says like sex has a purpose and it is to bring you into divinity. I'm like Christmas mm-hmm. said the same thing, but see defined divinity has yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> as your true nature. And I'm like, no, you you no. you're saying the right sayings, but you're defining mm-hmm. your words wrong. Yes. Uh yeah, actually I I was reflecting a bit on uh the first version of the ontological argument presented by Anselm because People allege that uh, there are there are other versions of the ontological argument, and I've heard that Anselm actually uh, presented two accidentally. He thought he was presenting one because when because when another Catholic monk, Gonilio, replied to him and pretty much crushed the first argument, he rephrased it, and uh, there are some philosophers who say that one works, but I don't think the first one works. But I haven't analyzed the second one. But the first one essentially says. Um, that you must think of a being of which nothing is greater. This is a necessary idea. This is an idea of reason. I think to I think that's Kantian terminology. I'm not sure, but it's a necessary idea. Even the fool who denies God's existence must accept that there is a thing which is greater than all other things. And just psychologically, even if you don't accept the rest of the argument, because I don't think the, the God the, therefore God exists follows from that. I just think it's therefore the idea of God exists, even if we accept that. Well, even if we if we accept this psychologically, then if you don't think God exists, you've got to make something the great the greatest thing in the world, and you're more than likely to make that thing yourself. Yes. <laughs> so it's a very penetrating psychological analysis, even if uh, Anselm didn't intend it to be that. Yeah. I, much as I dislike the some of the ways I've heard the ontological argument framed, I think the move to the move the effects it had on Western philosophy and psychology have been like really useful. 
I think it, there's a lot, like, even if you don't understand the argument, even if you don't agree with it, does help you understand a lot of other points of philosophy, mm-hmm. I think. This is why I, I do, I think that's a good argument for learning reasons, maybe not for actually proving it's, um... It's a very good argument playing. to break down and examine. Uh, partly, I did it for the original text. I did it in a, back when I was at the University of Toronto. I did it in the early medieval philosophy class. And we went through Anselm's original text. It's not that long. It's like a, eight pages or something. Um where he goes through this, I think it's the monologion. Yeah, it's, I believe it's the monologion or proslogion. Uh, and in the monologion, I'm just going to pr- assume it is the monologion, he goes through it, and Anselm is one of the worst writers I've ever encountered, at least this translation is, he is indecipherable. But if you manage to decipher him, then pretty much every other single medieval philosopher is, is accessible to you now. Like, Augustine is a charm. Like he yeah. he's rewrites beautifully. Boethius is a bit more analytical and technical, but again, if you if you decipher Anselm, he's nothing. And then you even the Islamic translations or the translations from Arab of Al-Farabi, Al-Ghazali, and Averroes and, and Avicenna, which we all read in that class, like very 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 fine compared to uh <laughs> compared to uh, compared to Anselm. So he's really good for like understanding different styles of writing and also understanding the implications of this argument might be sound, but the conclusion doesn't follow because yeah. we can accept that maybe the idea of God is necessary. We can grant that premise, but even then, that doesn't prove the reality of God. It means it it, it means at best that it's either a necessary illusion or it coincidentally coincides with the reality that God exists. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, confession of Augustine, I've been listening to the Confessions and City of God at work recently, and um. Augustine's is great. Yeah, what a writer. <laughs> Augustine's is beautiful. I mean, August- like I had a part of the tweet yesterday saying Augustine is somewhat better than me. He was a better writer, philosopher, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and even a better sinner. Uh-huh. He, he was. He's, uh, but um, you know, the way the whole book is framed, you read it like it's a prayer at the same mm-hmm. time as it's, it's a dialogue with God and it's a prayer to God and it's a an argument. It's sometimes not like a dialogue, but a one side dialogue where he just goes through points and it's. I can't think of anything else that was written like that that has been just that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good writer. Um, he also wrote dialogues. I think. Uh, yeah, he, I forget which one. I read one of them. It was like fifty pages. It was probably closer to a hundred because it was doubles because it had like two columns on each page. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what what it was now, but it's also one of the arguments for the proof of God and various other things. It's essentially uh, the Augustinian argument for God that uh, Facer presents, but original. And he writes it like a platonic dialogue. He writes it with another person who was his friend, uh, another Catholic, I think, who either converted with him or was there under St. Ambrose's tutelage, and they were both studying. So it's possibly a real conversation they had and that he then refined into an actual dialogue. I'm going to need to read that. I'm gonna need to I need that. to... I have it. Yeah, I can find the title because uh, I have it. It's a PDF here. It's from... This is also from the medieval philosophy class. It's a PDF from, I believe, Hyman and Walsh, which is just like readings of medieval philosophy. Mm-hmm. If I can find it somewhere, Dude, I wish I had. I wish I had college courses that were like about that. <laughs> like the only um, the only thing I took in college was like, I took a humanities course. I'm going back mm-hmm. to college soon. That is starting in January, and I'm not excited about it because the humanities professor at the uh, class that's nearest to me. Um, my friend took him. The friend is atheist now, mm-hmm. and the guy in the class opens with, um, "We're going to dis- we're going to discuss Aquinas's five arguments for God and why they fail." Uh. <laughs> and 
I'm like, I, like, I remember I told Logan, it's his name, my, my friend's name. I was like, um, uh-huh. talking about the five proofs of Aquinas. Aquinas. He goes, yeah, I heard about those in my class, and I heard that I, I could, uh, I, I don't have to disprove all of them. I'm like, describe the first one to me. <laughs> he couldn't even describe the first one. And I made a joke. I made in front of him like, "Oh wow, your professor at the at the community college in a small town in Florida disproved the entire Catholic Church's best <laughs> philosopher. What's his book? What's his degree? Where is he? Yeah, what's he writing? It's like, oh, we did a community college and drives a minivan. I I don't believe you. <laughs> like I'd be okay with the notion because there are some good agnostic philosophers like Graham Monty who do take hmm. the argument seriously. I think they fail, but they do take the argument seriously, and you know. Uh, but Graham Oppie's actually consequently famous because he's actually pretty good. The best, I think, philosopher in their side. Yeah, he's actually, like, really good, and he takes it seriously. Uh, I just think he kind of fails, uh, obviously, or else I'd I'd be agnostic. But uh, he's actually really, really good. So I'm open to, like, even, like, okay, you actually got, like, a version of your argument, and you presented a good, strong counter-argument. I'm open to that idea. But like, come on! This is like, was this an advanced philosophy course or something? Humanities. It was a yeah, humanities it's class. like, come on, man! <laughs> I'm just, from the story alone, I'm, I'm I'm led to believe it wasn't. He didn't actually disprove anything, and especially when this when his students was in a, like six months of the class couldn't articulate a single one of the arguments, mm-hmm. and when he did try, he articulated it poorly. I'm like, I don't, I don't think the guy actually knew what Aquinas said. I'm sure it's like what I'm sure what he probably did is read um, Dawkins' refutation oh, of the five ways, and so this is good enough, and taught that. Dawkins has this. Dawkins, I mean, I'm just sad. Dawkins yeah. just kind of makes me sad. Wouldn't like... know metaphysics from Metamucil, Ed Faisal. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm listening to. I'm reading the um, the uh, last superstition by Faisal. We've yeah, got to cover that eventually. On, on, on yeah, we do. It I haven't read so it yet. Uh, well, we just, is that podcast just going to turn into Ed Faisal books? Yeah, uh, for a while. It was screwed for be- a while. We'll go back to screwing when we get to sexual desire. I'm trying to get through it. It is it's dense. A tome. Yeah, I might need to. I'm going to have to. I'm, I will have to reread it, and I'll probably write articles on it. Because I'll, I'll probably write, like, summaries for myself. And I'll, like, just, like, edit them to make them into yeah. articles. Because it is it is a lot. And what I like about uh, – this is probably one of the reasons I like Struan is that he's very uh, metaphysically hesitant. I believe he was a Christian and Anglican, but he's sort of – this is a thing he takes on faith. He sort of takes the Kierkegaardian, Kierkegaardian leap of faith mm. on this. And I one of the talks you actually sent to me about uh, discussing like architecture or aesthetics in Scruton and Aquinas, the guy who was a Catholic who was a student of Scruton's says that like, yeah, Scruton like knew a lot of Aquinas' comments on a lot of things, but he hadn't really read them. So he kind of was very suspicious of metaphysics because he hadn't really dived into the scholastic tradition like headfirst. He was steeped in a more uh, essentially modern tradition from Descartes on. He knew that stuff like back to front so much that he wrote a book on it called Modern Philosophy, Descartes Onwards. Uh, Speaking of Descartes, <laughs> um, I have been I have a stack of books that I've been reading. I'm on purely from the sort of camera. I've been reading um, Professor. Uh, yeah, Christianity book. for modern pagans. Yeah, dude, this book. Um, it's people hate on Pascal for being boring, uh, but it's because it's only his his argument for God for argument for wasn't even for God it was for like Christianity. Christianity was mm-hmm. turned to a bumper sticker and then yes. totally misrepresented. Yeah, actually read it. It's it makes sense and it's not even an argument for God. It's an argument for trying out religion. Yes, it is. Like, it's not it's... an argument for God, and that's I think what they get wrong in the presentation. Yes. But uh. 
I had a point. Yes, my point was that because he's sort of very suspicious of metaphysics, he was very approachable to me before I reverted because he takes a very uh, Kantian view of noumena and phenomena and of what we can know and the boundaries of knowledge. And this is what kind of led me also to Phaser because he says that he essentially argues, and I believe uh, on human nature, Scruton is Scruton does, but like you can't say it's all material. Like, okay, maybe we can't say it's immaterial, but like even to say it's just material, you kind of have to presuppose it's not. And there are serious flaws there. So let's just admit, like, at least we don't know what's going on if it's just material. There's some really weird stuff happening with matter if it's just matter. And so even if it is like that, we have to treat the other person as a person, not just as matter. And express like, oh, my serotonin levels are down, or my dopamine levels are you up. You about the, the couple in uh, California who literally talks like that? Patricia and Paul Churchland. Paul Churchland yeah. is actually quite famous as a philosopher of mind. Um, my my uh, again, I bring up Logan again because he's the only person I know IRL who actually likes philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a he's a materialist, and we we started talking about the immateriality of the mind, mm-hmm. and he had no response to the idea of like intentionality being a component of action the difference mm-hmm. between like an action that a machine takes and an action a person takes without intentionality he's like well that's just uh us how do you put it he said that is just our brain chemicals trying to cope with the fact that we'll beat computers <laughs> and it's like <laughs> well yeah but, but that's a computational that theory yeah but that's i think that phaser discusses that and sort of just discards it in a theory of mind i've only listened to Great the book. Gentiles episode i'm, 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 I'm listening to the audiobook of it now and it's uh I will say, funny story for the people listening. Um, I got some like dose eight gummies that normally, normally are 0.025 in milligram, and so I'm like, okay, I'll take three, have 0.075, that'd be fine. Well, they were 0.25, and so I had taken way more than I'm used to, and so I am this gone. <laughs> I'm not even present, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to an audiobook. I'm gonna play real quick, and it opens up as you are reading a book. Or are you? And it goes into Cartesian dualism. <laughs> yeah, that's the first I'm looking around like, is this real? <laughs> it, just, it was it was like the worst way to ever experience really like hear like um a good analytic philosopher break down Cartesian dualism. It was just mm-hmm. the worst frame. I was in the worst place of mind to actually listen to a philosophy of the mind. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Phaser is also uh, just hard to follow generally in audio form. Uh. Because he's a, he's a he's very analytical. Which if if you're not if you're a listener not familiar with that, it says it's essentially read he reads like a math textbook, like a good math textbook. It's a well structured, well argued. It's not a textbook. That's unfair. It's a maths book. It's a well structured, well argued one, and he's presenting theorems and arguments for that theorems, the proofs of that theorems. But it reads like that. At least the five proofs does, and. It, well, he does the best job you can do with a maths book, but it's still a maths book. I'll put yeah. it like that. Yeah. Um, I would say last superstition, he gets a little bit more fiery when he's going yeah. after the new yeah. atheist. I read a bit of Aquinas. Beautiful. You can sort of you, you can sort of tell that because it's a not a five proofs of God, where I think he's really trying to be more academic. Aquinas is more of an introductory, you know, beginner's guide to this philosopher's life with this philosopher who he really likes and has personal affection for you could sort of tell uh but it still reads a bit like that it's just the style he was trained in and you can't yeah. really escape it uh yeah, 
No, it is. Uh, I got uh, I got introduction to Scholastic Metaphysics by Faisal coming to Mayo. I think next week, and yeah, I'm uh, I need to get really that looking one. forward to that one because I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if I'll co- we'll cover that or if I'll cover that or something. But I do think um, I need to read that because my other thing in metaphysics all comes from a podcast and Aquinas 101, <laughs> and it's 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 enough. But I really mm-hmm. want to make sure I get a good foundation in metaphysics before I mm-hmm. move forward to other sayings you know because yes. like the first philosophy book i ever tried to read was um so here's what happened i was really in the ayn rand yes um and i didn't read any ayn rand yet and i saw ben sapiro when i was back when i was a big sapiro fan uh said that kant was better than rand i'm like well kant's better than rand i'll just read a critique of pure reason <laughs> oh boy <laughs> and i'm reading this and i'm like i'm stupid <laughs> Yes, yes, he is. And then I looked into it, like, oh no, Kant was just a terrible, terrible writer. And he, <laughs> and so, um, I'm glad I, I, I sent it, I got it from the mayor in the library and I sent it back because I'm like, I'm not reading this. Um, but yeah, it's philosophy can be difficult to read if you have a really bad yes. writer. Kant's also hilarious because he wrote that purposefully hard because he was trying to use because he's trying to articulate very, very hard things mm-hmm. and because he has essentially no connection i mean if i remember correctly he was responding mostly to the leibnizian and he, to leibniz and hume so we were responding to the rationalists and the empiricists mm-hmm. and those guys are already kind of disconnected from the kind of very disconnected from the scholastic aristotelian tradition yeah um I, it became the disconnect really began with descartes but that already was like propagating forward this disconnection so because of that, he's articulating these very, very hard things, and he's trying to use extremely technical language. But if you actually read his lectures, he's extremely readable. Like it, when you just read like the transcripts of his lectures, like, yeah, he lectures normally because everyone says like if you read the stuff written about him of his contemporaries by his contemporaries, I should say. Um, yeah, they're like, wow, this guy like speaks really, really well, but his book is fucking unreadable. I just can't, I just cannot get through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's really really funny. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Um, no, like, uh, let me about Pascal and Pascal was like a contemporary of Descartes. And I think if Pascal didn't die so young, we would have had like a really cool, like, uh, Catholic contemporary of Descartes who was like on the opposite. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder like how much, uh, how to put this? If you had a uh, a counter enlightenment enlightenment philosopher at the same mm. time, it would be really cool. But um, he sadly died. I mean, Kreef seems to think it was better that he died. And yeah, Kreef joked um, that he'd be he'd write a very very boring book and like turn everyone away from him. And God said, No, 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 you did your work. You could come up now. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> um, like, man, I've been I've been on a Kreef kick. I've been listening to his lectures. Like he gave a lecture uh, recently, not recently, but it was um. What was it called? It was a uh, ten ways to destroy this um to destroy culture, and he opens up with uh, "I am not Peter Kreeft, I am Screw Tape," and he gives the entire lecture as if he was Screw Tape, talking to a demon about how to destroy culture. <laughs> and he opens up with my my new favorite jokes. I saying is that uh, Judas was the first bishop to accept a government grant. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, he's uh, Kreeft is a treasure. <laughs> Kreeft is really really funny. I real I love him so much. He's uh, he's great. He he's really good. He's a really good voice. He's gives he's gives really good lectures and he writes well. Yeah. So he's really kind of a treasure. Absolutely. He uh 
He's, if I have any dream guest on a podcast, it'd probably be Creased. But given his own words that he's an intellectual prostitute, and you have to pay him to appear on your show, yes. I probably can't afford him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very, very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, man. Yeah, I've also I've also started reading a bit of uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. I've oh, got... He's, uh, he's great. He's really, really good. Honestly, because uh, I was under a misapprehension, even though you know, raised nominally raised Catholic. I did. I went through all the motions, but by the time I was 12, my heart wasn't really in it. Um, and I've already become an atheist by the time I was 14, I think. Um, because he really brought to the force something which I had forgotten that when he was talking in the world's first love, which is a book about uh, Mary, mm-hmm. Bishop uh, Fulton Sheen's book about Mary. He mentions that like the source of Christian belief or Catholic belief, at least technically isn't the Bible because there were Christians before the Bible, it's the Catholic memory. It's the memory of the church. I mean, the creed of the father in the, I believe in, I only know it by uh, by heart in Portuguese. So it's, uh, I believe in God, the father, almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. I think I'm translating it from Portuguese um, in my head and so on and so forth. That was recorded, I think, before any of the gospels were written, or at least before we know the first gospels. That was, I think, in the year 100. I forget uh, which Catholic writer possibly a saint recorded it um so and we were we were already debating doctrine with the heretics before the before the uh gospels were out it was like oh okay now everything sort of clicks together for me like why they were written later why they were written also in greek especially because the jews had become hellenized at that point Mm -hmm. so that was a what what a lot of the people spoke and so on and so forth and that they preached a word why they have the same words and certain sections despite written, being written by disparate authors because the church got that right. They got those words <laughs> in those places right. It's like, yeah, so a lot of the criticism of the Gospels just kind of really fell away for me when he laid that out. Yeah. It was very I've been, beautiful. I've been listening to a lot of his, uh, his lectures and his show, and uh, he, had a, he had a sermon, a homily he gave on uh, what is the Mass, and it was uh, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, also been, I've been trying to read more of the uh, early church fathers. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, my favorite Serge Father is not a saint. Sadly, it's a uh, Orson. I, I, I love I, I I love reading and reading about Orson, and I I am uh, I'm not a universalist, um, but I I will say I think Orson is incredible. Also, the story about Orson, um, I have a I don't know made. anything about Origin except that he existed. <laughs> so That's um, it. Orson was very like Augustine. Augustine had the prayer, "Lord, make me taste, but not yet." Yes, yes, yes. Woodson took it a step further and took a rock and just kind of cut off his own. Um, oh, know. yeah, I think I, I'd, I'd heard that about him. Yes, so yeah, he was, he I was, didn't know that was something he said or something he did. He did, uh, yeah, he yeah. later admitted that it was a mistake and he shouldn't have done it, thankfully. Um, but uh, there was a who was it? I think I can't remember who it was, but like early church was happening, people can become Christians, and this some neo Platonist wrote a dialogue debunking god and no one had a response to it to 50 years later when order came around and wrote like the first philosophical church treatise mm. against it and it was incredible i can't remember what it was called but he was super influential and like, he was mm-hmm. just incredible but he also had a few things that were i think i think we could say fairly they were a little heretical by today's standard they weren't necessarily outline heretical at the time you know the time. yeah the church has developed additional doctrines yes. like immaculate like aquinas would be considered heretical and immaculate conception yeah but i'm pretty sure if he's you know in heaven he kind of like oh okay i was wrong there okay i yeah. got it <laughs> i'm still um but or, or he is someone that i think 
And what sucks is the person I know to, that living today who actually like writes about origin is David Bentley Hart, who is uh, I don't appreciate. <laughs> or yeah, he's an orthodox. I think yeah, the Contra Gentiles guy, I think they, the, the guys, I think, uh, I forget if it was Grant or Jeremy, they put it very, very well. Like, he's a genius, but he's a he's such an ass. He's not a genius in his own words. But he actually is really, really smart. Is he an ortho orthodox? I, think, I, I, I believe he's he's orthodox and he's a universalist. Okay. So uh, he he wrote a book uh, attacking scholasticism and natural law, which Ed Fazer refuted by really by saying, uh, he's clearly never read anything by Aquinas." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fazer is also like you wouldn't expect this from him. He's very polemical if you read because I uh, follow him on Twitter, and every time a comment of his pops up, it's either him being like very fiery. Or like, or like engaging in polemics in Twitter, like just debating with people and then writing a blog post about it. It's really oh, funny. You would great. not expect that from him. Dude, his his blog posts, um, his uh, he went on like William Lane Craig and Divine Simplicity because William Lane Craig rejects Divine Simplicity. Um, and it's it's brutal. It's really good, but it's very just kind of like <laughs> he's wrong. Yeah. I was uh, like William Lane Craig was my favorite philosopher when I was a Protestant because I like, favorite living philosopher. Mm -hmm. I really, I really, I did really enjoy the cosmological, the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, but nowadays, I am very hesitant to use the argument due yes. to. You ever watch? Uh, who is it? Jimmy Aiken. He's a Catholic apologist. Uh, I've watched him uh, on the debate a bit with uh, Byzantine Scotus on Young Earth, and I've mm -hmm. watched him also debate a uh, Bart Ehrman, I believe. Yeah, dude, Jimmy, Jimmy Aiken is incredible. I, 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 that guy apparently has like you ever you ever see a uh, Sherlock He's Holmes nice. from BBC? Yes, I have. Do you know? And so Sherlock has a mind palace. Yes. Apparently, that's like a weird thing people use in memory competitions. Yeah. So yeah, it does actually kind of exist. I don't know how it works, but apparently, Jimmy it is Aiken, based in real life. Jimmy Aiken has one for Catholic apologetics. <laughs> <laughs> He's confirmed this. I I I made a tweet about him either having a mind palace or being a cyborg, and he responded, "I do have a mind palace." I'm like, dude, is that why when you do a podcast, you just you pause and go? And come back with the source. You're looking into the yeah, mind palace. Yeah, what is about that? Yeah, he kind of looks away for a second. He thinks, and then he comes back like instantly. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I have the source it's, for this. It's he's my he's my favorite cowboy philosopher too. He's yeah. always wearing a cowboy hat. It's he's crazy. His <laughs> book. Um, I'm listening to his book. Uh, like Bible is a Catholic book, and I'm reading uh -huh. his book, The Drama of Salvation. Dude, not only is he a great like debater and like podcaster. His writing is incredibly good. Yeah, no, he speaks very, he's, very well. I, I'm just close to paying like the money to sign up for the pod Deus course of Catholic Answers because I, I was was too RCIA. And so while I'm glad I got into characters faster, I feel like there are certain gaps in my knowledge. That I don't I, I have a feeling there are gaps in my knowledge, but I don't mm -hmm. know if there are gaps. I don't know what I don't know. Yes, and exactly. So I'm gonna sign up for that course and go through the basics of it and try to make sure I get the a proper grounding because I don't want to have a gap in something. Uh, mm -hmm. Before I was on Adam Nutter's show talking about divine simplicity, what I shouldn't be doing to I know more. Yes, <laughs> but it came up. It came up, and I'm like, "What well, is the answer?" And then I did my best to explain it. And I misstated about God's will into the time that He is outside of time by looking in. And I'm like, I need to go back and retract that. I had to put a whole retraction, and I was thinking I miss, I misstated God's will into the time because I don't. Yeah, yeah. But God's it's... relationship to time is also the weirdest one to get right because you also yeah. need. There's a lot of good apologetics for it, especially uh Peter Geech, who, by the way, whose wife uh, was one of the pioneers of intentionality in philosophical circles. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Hanscom, 
uh, also another really, really good uh, Catholic philosopher. What, what probably one of the more famous of the 20th century, though she's not famous for being a Catholic. Uh, she's actually good friends of C.S. Lewis as well. And uh, had, and I remember, yeah, had presented a paper critiquing him like in front of him as well. And they became good friends afterwards. <laughs> it was it's lovely. Yeah, and she has, she's, she's an interesting woman, uh, was an interesting woman. But uh, Peter Geach, uh, Edward Fazer cites him in Five Proofs of God for like, okay, so how can God have created the world if he's, you know, out technically in some sense outside of time? Isn't that an act? It's like, well, no, God didn't change. The world changed. The world came into being. Mm -hmm. So something came into being in relation to God. So, for example, if Sock, if this is called a Cambridge property. So, for example, Plato being taller than Socrates or growing taller as he ages taller than Socrates, isn't a change in Socrates, it's a change in Plato, and a change in the relationship from Plato to Socrates. So it's a Cambridge property of Socrates, because Socrates didn't change, but something else changed in relation to him. And Geech is uh, the one who sort of made that, brought that idea. Yeah, Geech named that Cambridge properties, because it came from uh, an idea of older analytic philosophers from Cambridge and Geech uses that uh, to apply to God. I believe Geech also does in God and the Soul, but I haven't read that book yet. I need to read Geech. Right now, there's, there's so many Catholic writers and political writers I'm trying to read. Mm -hmm. I hey, do you want to know how I found out about Geech? This is actually sort of funny. Mm -hmm. I found out about, about Geech before I became uh, I reverted to Catholicism in mm -hmm. like 2018 in uh, Ethics of Liberty. And I also found Henry Veach, another American Catholic writer, which I got them confused initially because I, I was searching up Henry Geach and who the hell is this guy? He doesn't seem to exist. Who did Rothbard <laughs> cite? But he cited uh, in uh, Rothbard, in Rothbard's critique of utilitarianism, mm. he cites Henry Geach's The Virtues. And then somewhere else, he also cites Henry Veach's Rational Man, who are both Catholic philosophers. Henry Veach was actually a personal friend uh, of Rothbard's. So that's actually, so I have a lot to think. Uh, Rothbard for because that was sort of unexpected for me. I have a uh, <laughs> autographed copy of Ethics of Liberty by Rothbard. So my, my, my prized possession. I got it used online. And I opened it up and it was like right there, signed. I got, I got, I posted about. It, I got legitimized. Got it approved. Made sure it was like legit. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, on my sofa right there. It's like it goes about two hundred dollars right now, but uh, I'm never selling it. Yes, of course. <laughs> that is like my prize. One of my few. Like if there's a fire, it's like one of the few things I'm grabbing. That mm -hmm. and maybe my computer because. <laughs> that and maybe my computer. <laughs> That's a, it's an expense. It's expensive, you know. Like you can't yeah. spend more money on a computer. And you for a podcast, but yes, of course. Uh, Peter Keats. Yeah, there's so many. Like I'm just trying to read Aquinas and Phaser, philosophy wise, mm -hmm. and But there's so many other Catholic philosophers I want to read, and so many like political people I'm trying to read. Mm -hmm. And it's just like we're talking about fun about like Catholic libertarian who has like okay, so that means it's history, economics, philosophy, political science. And the Catholic stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to run out of books to read. Yeah, basically, there's always there's always something. Uh, yeah, there's just no way out of it. And yeah, there's always something because even then, if you go through all that, and there's like all the scientific fields, if yeah. you want to, and there's like good books for those. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard yeah. to get a handle on the book list on I'm the actually, reading list. I, I have a stack of books here because I'm I've run out of space. And so yes. I have to buy, I'm about to, have to buy a fourth book shelf, and I have no idea where I'm going to put it. Like, <laughs> I I don't plan to stop buying books, but I need I need to figure out how I want to store these books. Um, now I've been I've been doing a lot of um, what was it? Uh, do you know, do you know the website uh, tomisticevolution.com? I do not actually. So there are a bunch of Thomists who are evolutionists, like evolutionary scientists, and they do mm -hmm. Thomistic evolution. 
and they have a they have a middle school and high school curriculum. I think it's middle school. I'm just close to paying for it out of pocket just so I can go from there and build up because uh, mm-hmm. I'm a huge like evolutionary science nerd, which mm-hmm. is why I originally liked Dawkins before I you know knew philosophy. Yeah. I mean, I, he's probably de- I remember I read a Greatest Show on Earth, and that that was like decent. That was actually fairly polemical because he's like in the first sixty pages, he's like, "No, eugenics in humans is actually perfectly possible. Stop being a retard." It's like it's unethical, but like, don't say it's not possible. It's perfectly yeah. possible, you dumbass. And it's really funny. He goes on for this for like four pages. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. Was <laughs> like, um, I think it was. Um, this is one of my big steps to Catholicism. Was I watched with the Dawkins on Zoe Logan at work one day. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, he makes a lot of good points. I guess maybe I maybe maybe he's right. And then I saw mm-hmm. Bishop Bear and do a rebuttal to all of it, or like a, a, a breakdown of all of it, and two part mm-hmm. two part so. And I'm like, oh no, I'm stupid, and so is Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of led me to the continue the de- every time Mr. Bear drops a new video, I I forget sometimes how great he is, and then I yes. see him drop a video and watch it and go, oh yeah, I forget you're really smart. <laughs> yeah, I actually I probably should read one of his books at one point because he's actually like a he's fully versed in 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 tomism um but because he's such a good and friendly speaker you don't i have this prejudice if you're like a smart like if you're like a genial sort of person very charming uh has this big open smile you don't strike me as a philosopher you know the image of philosopher is Saul kripke to me who if you've ever heard lecture you can look up right now Saul kripke lecture he sounds like a goblin uh you know you're talking about hold on <laughs> Saul Kripke, really, possibly, yeah, I think one of the most famous uh, living philosophers, uh, even Hoppe has cited him in uh, epistemology. He looks weird, he talks weird, apparently very friendly, very cool guy, but uh, if <laughs> if you hear him talking, I think Contra Gentiles, uh, Contra Gentiles in De Anima had a clip of him talking, or it was it okay. in theory of mine? I, and, I do, I do remember. Uh, and yeah, they that could guy. not stop laughing because <laughs> it's guy, really that, funny. <laughs> that guy is pretty absurd sounding. He just yeah, not... like he talks funnier than Zizek or Zizek. <laughs> so, oh, Kevin, yeah, I can't so even Zizek, listen to Zizek. <laughs> yeah, Zizek and uh, Kripke are kind of my ideas of what like thinkers. So when someone like Bishop Barron, who like is this like you know he's just instantly charming and instantly mm-hmm. friendly. I'm like, no way, you're smart. You can't be like, you can't have that as well. Like, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't have it all, man. Better. Yeah, you can't be that much better than me. <laughs> yeah, I relate to that. Uh, that's why I listen, when I listen to a uh, Trent Horn talk sometimes, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. why? Yeah, that's actually a joke that I think Contra Gentile's made, that like, Kripke's like legit one of the smartest people alive. Like, when he was like 12 or 13, he was like mm-hmm. in a university getting a degree in maths. And then he found philosophy, fell in love with it, and like just went that way. Uh, <laughs> and like be- because and they joked that because he's so smart, God said like, no, you can't be beautiful too. Like you get <laughs> you get to look like a goblin man now, like a snail man. Like you exactly. you can't have that as well. Sorry, exactly. <laughs> keeping oh, you humble. I know. I was like, Continentalis. Anybody listening? Definitely go check out their show. Yes, uh, very great. very good. Yeah, that one of the few shows today that's not one by priests who are. Like good, good, go on and focus on metaphysics and stuff. Yes. Um, the only thing I could think of is God's planning. Um, but they're so sort and so, so, you know, the priests and the very again, you're smart and you're nice and you're you know cl- pure and clean. <laughs> but I, I, I will enjoy Jeremy every once in a while going dick in the pussy. He explains <laughs> something because the words he uses in his mind. I appreciate that kind of like crudeness when I'm listening to somebody. Yes. Um, I also oh. appreciate that, like, 
you know, it's very human. So like when Grant, like we're, we're like, you know, two hours and 50 minutes in into the podcast, the philosophy of mind, and there's all this information. And Grant, when he describes a phaser finally going to, to hylomorphism, when he saw the word hylomorphism, he was like, oh, yes, land, I'm not, I'm no longer drowning. Yes. Yeah, I, it's like, yes, I know the feeling. I slog from this podcast as well. I know I, the feeling. Yes. Uh, I like was what they to... said, and it was so perfect. It was like, oh, and he described it all making sense. And what they said next was made sense. It was like, yes, yes, finally. I get ah, this. Dude. Sweet land. I'm listening to the audiobook. I skipped ahead. I skipped right to that. I skipped like and did three chapters. I'm like, no, I'm gonna skip to one I, I know is right. Listen to that and then go back and listen to the other stuff. So I, I can understand why it's wrong better. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a great chapter. It's like a really good, explains a lot of problems. It fully understands that like so much of philosophy, I feel like it gets things wrong because they they have they, they don't follow hylomorphism. They have to pick one. They pick one or the other, and it, it's just like really someone who gets it right. It's just satisfying as hell. Speaking of satisfying experience, this is actually one of the coolest things I've ever had. I think one of the coolest things that happened to me in the past two years mm. is I was at my friend's house. Okay, we're sitting mm. outside, we're drinking on the ports. And this, uh, his fiance's younger brother walks in. He's like, I think he's a uh, seventeen, and he sits down. He's his mom's Protestant. The kid's mom's Protestant, but like, okay. very crazy, flat earther kind of Protestant. Okay, very, very um, eccentric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just like talking. He brings up God, which makes my, me, my, me, my friend, my husband, AC, if we saw butt heads on the horse, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy goes, "What is the most evil act a person can do?" And um, I say the most evil act involves uh, theft or pride. Why would someone or someone that is integral to the person, their life or their innocence in a case of rape and pride? Cause you're saying you have the right to do it when they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so pride is the root of all sin. Turns out I, I, I got my new Aquinas book. I open it up. It opens up with that kind of question. And it quotes Sirach. I think it was 10 2 which mm-hmm. is a book I still need to read because it's in the new Bible, the Catholic Bible. And mm-hmm. it's just straight up says the root of all sin is pride. <laughs> and it was just this yes. super satisfying moment to be like, yes. I have reason to a yes. correct position. Uh-huh. With yes. reason alone, we say a biblical truth, and I'm like, yes, I'm not stupid. Yes, <laughs> a, oh man, so yeah. I don't, I don't remember any specific moment, but there's been like a three or four where like I I reason something before reading something, and then I like well, maybe a month or maybe a year later, I read something. I'm like, oh my god, you made my argument for me. Yes, it's yes. now in like good terms. It's actually like now put in a smart, what concise manner. Yes, yes. <laughs> It's so satisfying. It's just like, ah, I feel it's vindicated, validates it, all of them. It's like, I, yeah, it's, it's I feel like it justifies uh, so much of my reading, reading and stuff like that. Um, what was I going to say? Another funny thing that happened is, um, do you, you know, do you know uh, Scott Hahn's book, First Society? Uh, I do. Uh, was it about, is it about the early Christians, right? No, it's about uh, marriage and family being the first society. Oh, then I do not. I do not. Okay. Really good book. I was going to have a blue collar Ryan from Twitter wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We we're both reading the book, both wanting to talk about it. And he goes off and proposes to his girlfriend and is going to get married now. Great for him. But uh-huh. he's postponing the podcast because he's getting married. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing to me. The book on marriage has to be postponed because my co host is getting married. I mean, that's perfect, right? It's perfect. It's going to make the podcast so much better. When we actually do sit down yes. and talk about it, it's going to yes. be like, so how good was the book? It made me get married. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> But I just think that was like a hilarious, like how it lined up like that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <sighs> There's so many great. I mean, I could spend my entire life reading Scott Hahn and Peter Kreef books, and I think they both each wrote about 83 and 93 books. Yeah, they wrote way too many fucking books, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, okay. stop, just please. <laughs> um, Peter Kreef has a bunch of ebooks that are only available as ebooks, and mm-hmm. they're all Socratic dialogues, I think. And all Socrates meets, and Socrates meets, yes. and he's just a philosopher. I need to read Socrates meets Machiavelli, and Socrates meets uh, Descartes. I think uh, the one I also really want to read, which is I think was the first book I saw of Kreeft. I don't know where I saw it, but it was, uh, you know, Socrates investigates the claims of like Jesus existing. Like he's transported to the modern world. Yeah, he's transported to the modern world. I haven't read that one, but I need to. And uh, and he investigates it. Um, I, I, I think I know the ending, the ending question, at least after he's like convinced. And he's like, okay, so where are his followers? I think that's what he asked at the end. Or something like that, uh, which is a great little dig. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I need to. I also have I have the PDF of Socrates meets Marx, where they're mm. both dialoguing in the afterlife. Oh, that uh, sounds good. So uh, I think it's I think he I think in this world, like Socrates, just like yeah, he went to heaven or something, and he's like now, and he's also like so he like knows all the metaphysical truths, but he's mm. really good at dialoguing. So God just sent him to talk to Marx or something. I forget. I don't know the story. I only read like the first five pages, but that's the feeling I got. I need to read it. It was like, it's pretty good. At least the first five pages. I think he has, he has three books called Socrates meets is one, uh, Socrates encounters the claim of Jesus. And it's one with Socrates on the importance of a liberal education. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, he's, he meets this guy in a car. that wants to go be an engineer or a businessman. That's his AA. And he, uh, he's like, philosophy is a waste of time. And Socrates uses philosophy to explain why philosophy is important. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. The third one is a Socratic dialogue on abortion. Mm. And I, I need to read that one. Yes, I know, I know what's going to be good. <laughs> yes, that's um, also the one I need to read. Uh, Epictetus, actually, one of the uh, Stoics uh, in his handbook, which were just a note of a student. So he, the student just transcribed the lectures, which is really funny because Epictetus keeps insulting them when they ask stupid questions. It's like, uh, you know, that sin, basically sin, or that wrong thing I did wasn't that bad. And he's like, well, could you have done something worse in that situation? No. So it was as if you murdered your father, you slave. And he calls them <laughs> slaves all the time, which is even better because he was a former slave until he was like 20 or something. So it's hilarious. Oh um, and he has a, one of the students asked the question, you know, why is reason important? And Epitetus just just responds with, well, prove to me reason isn't. And it's like, and he essentially says, you need reason to prove it isn't important. So you need reason. Done. Easy. Dude. Move on. <laughs> I got. I did that to my my friend, my my best friend from was two. Is an engineer. Very. You ever meet an engineer? You know, he's like he's, he's that guy. He's a very yes. smart but very robotic engineering person. Uh-huh. Loves science, and um, was sitting around, and I said, "What's more? What's better? Philosophy? What's more important? What's better? Philosophy or science?" He said, "Science." I'm like, Why? And the moment he opened his mouth, I went, "And now you're doing philosophy." <laughs> <laughs> and he closed his mouth. And it was like, "Well, just like." like Okay. He, he, he knew the moment he opened his mouth, he's like, I see your point. You 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 are right. You knew me philosophy. Um, yes, he's not reading philosophy, but he's still very, very Protestant. Um his first big study was in the Calvinism and trying to argue against it. Um by inducing he incorporated a lot of the Calvinist anti Catholic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um also one of my favorite things with him sometimes, and I'll be talking on the phone and I'll bring up like the lesser goods. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, that makes sense from like philosophically, but how do you make it work with the scriptures? I'm like, what scripture would say that's wrong? And he go, 
the scripts. <laughs> he, he, he can't remember what scripts he should be quoting right now, but he just says the scripts as like an out card. Um, mm-hmm. Very smart dude, but he spends his time on science and the hard sciences and doesn't really read and focus on like philosophy like I do. So we both, you know, we both artistically study and go on rabbit holes on opposite ends. And so it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun talking to each other. I mean, it's you have a very different friend experience for me because most of my friends are not religious one way or the other. I think I have one friend who is Catholic and was Catholic mm-hmm. his entire life, and he's a the physics guy. Uh, so, but that's it. But like that's it. And we never really talked about we I we actually haven't talked about religion since because mm-hmm. we're he's like going to Canada and I decided to go back to Brazil. Uh, and but even I'm studying at a Catholic university now in Brazil, and like most of my people are like we're not that into like some of them are but they're not that into like the philosopher just like yeah no i'll go to mass i'll go to confession i'll take the sacraments thing and mm-hmm. it was like yeah then i'll you know learn like economics or law or whatever i was like yeah like i don't i don't know what this philosophy stuff is get get this away from me mm. yeah I'm, I'm i'm trying to get my um i got I'm, i gotta get a surveying license eventually it's i gotta get any any four-year degree counts for a surveying license mm-hmm. it can literally be in theology or economics and this has to be a four-year degree to apply for the test mm-hmm. and so i'm trying to decide after my a what i should actually you know get my degree in because mm-hmm. i'm never going to use it i'm going to i'm basically i'm just getting the certificate so i can get the serving license so i can learn anything i want and whatever i want can just be you know for the podcast pretty much and mm-hmm. so I'm trying to stuff as I go get like philosophy, theology, or economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is the only c- school around, my, around me that actually has like a decent philosophy course or theology course is very, very Protestant. Mm-hmm. And my Catholic friend who's going there did a um. Do you, you know who uh, Francis Safer is? Uh, that name sounds familiar. How do you spell his last last name? I have no idea. Um, Schaefer, Schaefer, Schaefer. Yeah, I got it here. Okay, so it's S C H A E F F E R, American theologian. Okay, evangelical theologian. Yeah, no, I maybe heard the name before. He has a cool face, uh, mm-hmm. but no, I do not. Uh, I did not know him. He has a um book on the early on the um going through history, um, mm-hmm. from like just of Jesus to now, and it's vehemently anti-Catholic. He tries to force <laughs> Stoda Scriptura has the, like the like he has a quote saying um the Catholic Church invented humanism <laughs> mm-hmm. and that um oh, what was it how do you put it um the church moved it like at the same time he said the church was humanistic and only focused on human needs but also they introduced the um Gregorian church otherworldly and mystical mm. and they, they, uh, there was a strong divide between the early church of uh, Magisterium and this in the Bible alone. I'm like, they didn't have the Bible in the early search. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's, I listened to it. He said, my friend knew I would love to like argue against. So he said it to me one night at like nine o'clock. Hey, I'm writing for my class. I'm writing a rebuttal paper to everything he says. Can you help me formulate the arguments? Mm-hmm. And the guy spends 30 minutes going after Aquinas for not understanding human nature of the fall. Mm. And just like, Aquinas chose philosophy over the Bible. And I'm just like, what, what did you just say? <laughs> what, what did you just say to me? <laughs> Like oh he had, man! He's like a guy in an Aquinas costume. He's writing down. He literally has. He chose philosophy over the Bible, and Aquinas closes the Bible. I'm like first of all, Aquinas had the entire book memorized. Okay, yes. so there's no reason he would have to close it because he has it memorized. And if you read Aquinas, it's more biblical quotes. He quoted the Bible and Augustine more than he quoted. Yes. Yeah. No. So there's don't a, try to bring this yeah. bullshit into me. <laughs> there's a great uh uh Twitter poster, a uh, Reformed Catholic. So he's not a. 
he's not one of us, but uh, very interesting guy. So he, but he makes these dialogues. Uh, he puts it in like imagistic terms. So he's going through uh, the Summa Theologiae, and you know, he, and he has like the opposer who's always a Wojak and a Chad, uh, a Chad Aquinas. Uh, I'll try to find one later and send it to you. But uh, a lot of the time, you know, it's always like at one point when he's rebutting on theological issues, like this is what Augustine had to say about the scripture. St. Augustine says, and it's like all the time. It's always like, yes, St. Augustine said on this scripture, like this is the argument. I cannot put a better of an Augustine, so I'm just going to quote him. And yes. just, it's really, really funny. It's really good. But also, I think it was, I don't remember if it was Crave, but it was definitely on Pint of Aquinas who mentioned this. It's like the way Aquinas, like, thought or meditated on things was like he would go to the tabernacle and just sort of stay there and rest his head mm -hmm. against it and just like pray or I've, i believe it was also his assistant after his death uh when they were can and i believe was it the canonization uh, committee or something like that uh where you know this is that like he did masses two times a day or attended masses two times a day one where he was the priest the what would it be the word in english ordaining it ministering it like delivering it i don't know and the other time where it was his assistant and he would receive it uh from him and like he could barely get through one without crying like and he would just shed copious tears all like he just couldn't get through it like every day and you don't really get that from reading aquinas but if you reflect this guy wrote like a book bigger than the one of his books with summa theologia is like bigger than the bible by like a factor of like two or something like that it's like twice as big maybe three times as big on this topic he cares very deeply about this even yes. if his style is dry and like uh scholastic he cares yes. very very deeply about this you don't really have a right to say you know like no he chose philosophy over the he also Bible. You didn't don't understand it. like he said um he didn't understand aquinas is listening to a guy talk i'm like no you you don't understand what aquinas actually believed mm -hmm. um and he was very, he tried to argue that Catholic Church created and and continued to be perpetrated humanism, but Luther was the cure of, of uh, the humanism of the Catholic Church. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. I, I'm, I guarantee you what's, what's more humanistic, uh, having a, outs a church outside of you that has like connection to God that you follow and you agree with and performs a mass that literally brings, you know, Christ's embodiment into this bread and translates trans trans into the body of Christ. Or... Mm -hmm. I can't know anything except that I think that I am saved, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is a direct line to Descartes. I think therefore I am. Like I, yes. it's just like, come on, come on. I can make in, in five minutes. I can make a better argument for why Luther was more of a humanist in the Catholic Church than you, can, than you did in forty minutes in the other direction. And it was he wrote a. Uh, he sent me my friend sent me his rebuttal paper. He goes hard. He goes after him for like every little point, and it's it's really good and really fun to read. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know how he's going to be graded on it because the teacher is a huge fan of Seifel and a very big Protestant kind of anti-Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure there will be some kind of argument over the sites that were used. But um, it's, yeah, I don't want to go to that school because I don't want to have to listen to that kind of <laughs> stuff. I want to actually, if I could, I would go to Steubenville. But mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, have a great Catholic migration to Steubenville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone else, like the Democrats moved to red states, the Catholics moved to Steubenville. That's just kind of how it works. <laughs> Did you see uh, Cameron Batuzzi of Cast Capturing Christianity went on Pines of the Quirinus with Matt Flad and Scott Hahn? Uh, yes, I didn't see all of it, but I saw the okay. first half at least because it was like a two-hour podcast or something. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah it was re- pretty long, but I, I remember seeing half of it and I was like, yes, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, his idea is interesting. It's weird. I don't think you can quantify this, but it's, you know, interesting. It's a yeah. method to convince yourself at the very least. Very much. Yeah. And one way or the other, at least it's evidence gathering. So, like, even if he decides against it, at least it's good for us because we know the evidence and what's decisive mm-hmm. or what isn't. So we can mm-hmm. focus on apologetics for that. So yeah. either way, he's doing good work, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I would say I love the image of it where it's like Matt Fred, laptop and stack of books. Um, <laughs> Tuesday, laptop, stack of books, Scott Hahn, a Bible and a notepad. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Hahn would start a quote from the Bible and then turn to it, has quoting it, and then finish the quote by reading it. Yes. It's like, ah, it's beautiful. You watch it and it's just like, that is just a beautiful image of like Scott mm-hmm. Hahn just quoting the Bible as he turns to it that makes it get the quote right. Just. Mm-hmm. But uh, Han's point about like the divinity kingdom being a new covenant of the papacy um, is beautiful. And I can't believe it. I've never heard it before. I'm, I'm thinking I've heard it once before, but never really like absorbed it. Mm-hmm. But hearing him explain it, I'm like, oh, this kind of explains why so many Protestants are wrapped into this Israel, um, Israel worship because they mm-hmm. have they, they still think that's the covenant that has to be protected. Yes, God's gonna yes. perform all the miracles through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, no, that's that's the old covenant. If you were Catholic, mm-hmm. you would see this is the new covenant, and this is what's going to happen. You don't have to worry about a terrible state like Israel who probably murders children in Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, there isn't, uh, you know, Israel, uh, the, f- the physical location of Israel, you know, had special events occur in it, but the very end, you know, maybe it's worth going on a pilgrimage there because of a special events. But, like, you know, you don't need to defend it from everyone else, technically. Like, that's actually not what matters <laughs> in a sense. Like, come on. <sighs> There's... Yeah, Solomon is beautiful, and so is like the scholastics. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? I, I eventually, eventually on osteotomism, I would love us to cover the church in the market and mm-hmm. um, ethics of money production by Hughesmont. Hughes yes, because he, dude, Hughesmont. If it, we were talking about like the student of Harper's, why does people go to Kinsella? Ignore that guy. Um, <laughs> like, because I think because Kinsella has a is more polemical. Because I think in yeah. the Austrian school, everyone's like. Yeah, we like okay. Maybe we don't. It's like maybe the I haven't read Ethics of Money Production, so I can't comment it. But at, at the general, if you just read like Rothbard or something, you'll like absorb the very basic ideas that are associated with like uh, the Rothbard's natural law and money production mm-hmm. and his ideas for a better version of it. And like yeah, there's a free banking school, and they make arguments that I'm that I don't know if they're good or not. Some of them sound good. Some of them also I've heard good rebuttals of. And I'm not uh, that level of, of economics where I can like confidently weigh in. But uh, yeah, so we can. So Kuzman's book is not that polemical for us, whereas inter- um, you know a copyright law or is actually very polemical because yeah. you know, probably because of uh, Ayn Rand, who was an objectivism, who was also like a fiction writer, and you know has this very strong opinion on copyright law and on intellectual property specifically. Uh, so that probably is way, way more polemical. So more people use that as a resource, but Hussman really, really is slept on because yes. I, I think, I think, oh, I think his only book might be ethics of money production, but he has a he lot wrote, of good articles. Um, he wrote a autobiography. No, yeah, no, about, yeah. Auto, a biography, a 1000 page biography of Mises. Yes. How could I forget so that good. one? 
Yes, it's, it's the so last good. night of li- liberalism. That's like Dude, the definitive biography of Mises. Listening to that book, I I am just like blown away by how amazing Mises was. Yes, like one of, one of the greatest men of the twentieth century. Yeah, twenty first, twenty twenty first is where we're I always at now. get confused because like the twentieth century is the nineteen hundreds. Yeah, I just, my brain with numbers don't my, my brain doesn't work well with numbers, but mm-hmm. Mises is definitely up there as like the greatest man of the twentieth yes. century. Just incredible. I need I to mean, read that book. Eventually. Just the introduction about how he escaped Hitler because he was on Hitler's shortlist of people who he was to kill, mm-hmm. and then he wrote about how Hitler was in public housing and public housing breeds sexual and emotional. Yeah, but Hitler is gay. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> he says, oh, and you uh, read Socialism by, by Mises. That is like one of my like top three favorite books are mm-hmm. Suicide of the West and Socialism by Mises. My that top two. They're in there because it's, yeah, it's like, so good. Crazy. That book's yeah. kind of crazy in its range of topics because it attacks like because it's not attacking just the economic theory of socialism. Mm-hmm. It's attacking like every single theory proposed by socialists ever. <laughs> which yeah, is an insane task and it's a big book yeah i was supposed to have uh thomas de lorenzo on for it but yeah, yeah, yeah. the day of the like i emailed he said email me a day before the recording so i can remember i emailed him the day before and i emailed him the day of and then he he uh never got the emails and so i want to try again to reset it reset it back up but um because he would be he'd be great guest for because he talks a lot about Mises as us like destructionism which yes. is yeah, everyone's to be reading Mises, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. Even if you're like, like not economically inclined, the arguments Mises lays out in socialism, or if you really want to just get a condensed version, read Against the Left by Lou Acqua, yeah. which is a book everyone who is any anyone who's even slightly right wing needs to read Against the yeah. Left by Lou Acqua. Yeah, if you're not economically inclined, but you want to be good on economics, read Human Action. If you are economically inclined, read Rothbard's uh, Man, Economy, yeah. and State. That is the it's very clear that Rothbard was trained as a mathematician and uh, Mises, well, probably very, very good at maths, uh, didn't really care for that method, so he doesn't bloody use it. Yes, he has, I will like, say. I have equations of that book. Um, I, I, I haven't love... read all of Human Action. I need to finish it, but, you know, he has like five equations of that book. I love how it's in the that. pocket of distance of these books are <laughs> just ginormous. Yeah, like, I yeah, have the pocket of distance. This is not yeah. going to fit anyone's pocket. I have the pocket edition of MES, but I have the big boy edition of uh, Human Action. Yeah, I, I got, got it. A, <laughs> yeah, I got it. A, I believe resold. Yeah, it was like so, so, so used. Yeah, that's the word, yeah. used. Yeah, these books are. Um, I, I'm so glad I. I would say I talked to some uh, some Catholics or some people who are more philosophically inclined, and they ignore economics as a because they understand economics is very. What did how do I put this? Economics, when it's just about GDP, is not yes. important. When it's about human nature, it actually has a major influence. Yes, which is why our website is called Austrianism because Austrianism uh-huh. is a huge influence, at least in my philosophy and my work yes. and everything. Um, yes, but uh, like. I put this because it makes. I want to say I like about. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, "Um, Austrianism won't tell you why minimum wage is wrong, but it will tell you what it's going to do." Yes, that was probably Walter I, Block, by the probably. way. Probably, dude. I I do make fun of Walter Block for evictionism, but I absolutely yeah. love Walter Block. Like the uh, what was it? Um, yeah, I love him too, despite uh, being wrote? a crazy, crazy man. I love him yes. so much. Evictionism is the most Jewish thing I've ever read. <laughs> it is so Jewish. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a uh, the not official, not a not a podcast, NAP official who had that joke. Where it's like, due to likening abortion to like a, a, 
a, a guy not paying his rent is the most Jewish analogy ever for abortion. Kerry uh, Baldwin's debate with him was incredible. Like, she's uh, she's just she's incredible. Um, but what was it? Um, I was gonna say, but no, what was this, uh, what was it? Defending the undefendable, Walter Block's yes. book. That is uh, much as I disagree with some of it because I do think um, mm-hmm. it's it's somehow libertarian morality seems to be materialistic. Because yeah. well, it's not a real thing, therefore it's not it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about like your your what's the example? Like this thing on blackmail and extortion and their whole view of like IPs. Like just because it's not, I agree with the IP stuff, but because just because it's not material, it doesn't seem to account in morality, which is my problem with a lot of it. Morality is very materialistic. Yeah. Um, still incredible book. I, I mm-hmm. really do his lectures. He went to high school with Bernie Sanders. That dude yes, knew everyone. That yes. dude knew everyone. He met Thomas Sowell. He met, met, he, met he met Mises. He, he met, met Ayn Rand. Rand. He, he met, met Ayn Rand. Like, he met Brandon. See, Nathaniel Brandon was who converted him to libertarianism, which is an insane just, to think about as well. Just, and he, this idea of Murray Rothbard as being like some Black Panther, tough, tough guy with like an Indian tribe hat, and then <laughs> medium is a little Jewish nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, also I, Hoppe's I, description of Rothbard is also great because, you know, Hoppe, he was this, like, the greatest social scientist of the 20th century before he met him. And then he gets there, it's this jovial little Jewish Brooklyn, Brooklyn Jew. <laughs> it was like the exact yeah, but, opposite of him. You know, he's fat where Hoppe's athletic. He's short where Hoppe's tall. He's balding where Hoppe's like this blonde haired, this blonde haired area. Young Hoppe was a stud. That yes. dude was attractive. <laughs> you see him with the suit and the glasses on the beach, yeah. and you're like, you you could get it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I remember, I don't remember if this was probably a Hapa talk where, where he talks about his living condition as though he was like living with like a loud Puerto Rican couple or something upstairs. And I don't remember what it was. It was probably in the it might have been getting libertarianism right. Or one of his talks. It was the funniest thing I ever read. I was laughing my ass off. Yeah, he's uh, his um Hoppe's response. I think I think I can't remember the full story, but the whole like when he meets someone who doesn't want to have kids because of the environment, and he's like, "You can reduce the problem by one. Yes, if you just simply kill yourself on the spot is yeah one true. That was yeah no that event that was an event by SVTV, uh, who's like a Russian channel, and Phil Bishop had a you know made a comment that I hadn't realized. Like Hoppe holds uh you know he's gonna do an audience in he's gonna hold a lecture in Russia, and it sells out to young people. That's weird. Like, maybe, like, uh, keep your eye on this guy. And he's like, I think he's planning on, I forget which, it was like a, a relatively recent update on the either Hoppe's personal website, but it might have, which is managed by Kinsella or Kinsella's website, where he like posts, he cross posts stuff from Hoppe's uh, place. But like, Hoppe's like actually working on a new book or something if he has time to finish. Um, I might go and check it right now, stuff on Kinsella.com um, because. Uh, that was very interesting. If he has time, he's gonna do. Let me see. Home. Uh, but yeah, feel free to like say anything else while this goes. Also, uh, speaking of Hopper, my only critique of Ed Fazo is Ed Fazo's critique of Waspar and Hopper. <laughs> That's my only problem with Possibly, Ed Fazo. Yes. Is he? Yeah. I don't think he understands. First of all, his argument about Waspar was a bad philosopher. I don't think he's necessarily wrong, but I think he thinks the philosophy is an academic thing. And I think Waspar was not an academic philosopher. He was a popular philosopher. He wrote academic books. In economics, uh-huh. and so I think his critique isn't borne out because it's not meant to be an academic philosophy book. It's meant to be a popular level for the masses philosophy book. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think um, his critique of uh, argumentation ethics is not understanding argumentation ethics because it's mm-hmm. not meant to be an all-out proof. It's meant to show that there's no position you can hold that counters that that is not an, an, some form contradictory. And so it's not meant to be an end-all, be-all proof of self-awareness. Um, it's meant to be a metric for understanding uh, why claims against it are contradictory because they don't account for this one aspect of it. Um, so I will say that's my only problem with Phaser. I think he gets those two points wrong. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that might be something to maybe read those live on Austriotopism and offer all critiques of Phaser. Yeah. Once we don't do Phaser's book, we're actually so that we're not just, you know, Phaser, what's the purpose? We should actually showcase, so, hey, we agree on something and critique him on something. Yeah. I think Phaser, uh, yeah, Phaser, maybe he disagrees with it because he has a, uh, he sees that a Roth, he believes that Rothbard is against certain teachings of the Catholic Church, or at least that anarcho capitalism is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be, I remember at least David Gordon mentioning that point of the reason he kind of split. Because, you know, he's written papers for the Mises Institute before. Yeah, he wrote uh, Hayek, um, Hayek's Defense of uh, Tradition, which is a very, very good paper. It's like 20 pages. Very, very good. Uh, and he seems to really understand Hayek. And he wrote an entire book on Nozick, so he, and which David Gordon really praised. So he probably gets those two guys. Yeah. Uh, and he probably does get Rothbard to a large extent. But uh, he might have certain problems with, I guess, Catholic social teaching and Rothbard. Yeah. That might be the crux of the issue. I think so. I think, uh, wasn't Rothbard friend with two priests when he was in New York? Like, there were two priests that he wrote natural law books as well he was friends with. Um, I can't remember the name, but they were like, they were like scholastic. sounds very plausible. I know he was friends with Henry Veach, who was the president of the mm-hmm. North American Catholic Philosophical Association. Yeah. Uh, and he cites him in Ethics of Liberty, and Veach was not an ANCAP by any stretch of the imagination. He was sort of like a very, a democracy respecter. He was on the yeah. conservative side, but sort of a you know, very much, uh, and he's, and his critiques of Rothbard and Hayek are very weird. Cause like, I remember it's in human rights factor fantasy where she is at, the first half is a great defense of human rights. And the other half is like a defense of like, yeah, we should have democracy or the, it's a the critique of other ideas of rights and their consequences. Like, no, we can all work it out in a democracy. And, you know, I don't see why when we tax people in democracy, we're all agreeing to it. Why can't we just redistribute it fairly? It's like, surely it's better. It's like, like, bro, come on. <laughs> it's like, surely yeah. you've read these guys. Like, I, and he admits, he sort of says candidly, it's like, I have no, I have no training in economics. Maybe I'm just being an idiot here. But like, yeah, <laughs> like, Mr. Sort of, and it's like, you just came out of a very brilliant defense out of the idea of human rights. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very, very smart guy. Rational man, a very, very good defense of uh, virtue ethics. It was it was my introduction to virtue ethics, I should say, and Aristotelianism nice. in general. Yeah. There's so much, so many books I want to cover on Austrotomism and so many mm-hmm. articles I want us to get get writing and get published because I think I think now is a time where like people are wanting uh people are going back to Catholic Church a lot now, it seems like. And what's happening going politically, now is the time for like a good like People are, t- I think people are understanding that, hey, maybe modern philosophy is shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people, people seem to be flocking back to Thomism, and people seem to be wanting good economics and are flocking to Austrianism. I think mm-hmm. now is the time for us to kind of like make a website, kind of, hey, no, we're a bit of both. That's, that's you know, mm-hmm. we, need to, we honestly need to, we've done a lot of good Catholic philosophy stuff. I think we need to get some two things. We need to cover us um, sacraments, and we need to cover some economic stuff. Yes, because we need to. We we really really focus on the Thomas side. We need mm-hmm. to get some uh, Austrian side covered. We need to yes. cover some economics books. I don't know what we. Yeah, we need to either cover economics books or certain articles in economics or certain mm-hmm. ideas and principles. 
don't yeah. know if we'd explain them to a layman or if we're no or if we're going for like no let's dissect this fervor and what it means because mm -hmm. you know like i'm reading man economy and state and rothbard's a view of interest i'm i i realize i'm gonna have to go like i read through it and now i'm like yeah i will have to go and get like a <laughs> robert murphy's beginner guide to <laughs> man economy and state i'm gonna have to take notes and answer the questions and the guide and you know it's gonna have to do a whole <laughs> thing because, you know, the first 100 pages, I'm like, yeah, I get this. This is like basic human action, supply and demand. And, you know, it's it's understandable in direct exchange, the pattern of exchange. And even like allocations of, of capital resources and lines of production. It's like, okay, I get this. And when we start talking about time preference and the evenly rotating economy and how it alloc and how like interest is allocated throughout the chain of production, I'm like, okay, okay, you're melting my brain. We're going to need to slow down. Yes. And, you know, and how like ordinal preferences match this. I'm like, okay, okay, that's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. I get it, okay? I kind of get the basic gist. Are we going to continue reading or else I'm going to stop here forever? But I know I'm going to need to go back and like yeah. get into this. So that's why I guess I'm hesitant on economics is a lot of the time. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if I find something interesting in philosophy, I can just comment on it. But a lot of ours and a lot of our guys in our sphere either haven't heard of it before or they haven't heard from this angle, like Geek specifically, especially. Yeah. Or, uh, which, uh, yeah, my next article, which I'm going to write is on Geech. I'll tell you the synopsis later. But, uh, awesome. a lot of that's like relatively new to a lot of guys. Or my article on beauty, it's like no one really read screw. Like a lot of people in conservative side have read screwed, but not a lot of the anarchists or pit or even Thomists haven't mm -hmm. read screwed that much. And it's really not like off, like certain options have praised them. Salerno has praised them. I think maybe Gordon, David yeah. Gordon as well. They have praised them as well. And no, screwed has read Mises uh so uh he sort of dismisses mises political philosophy because he has his own political philosophy but he's like no mises is completely right in economics yeah, he, yeah that's actually pretty much a quote from him it's like yeah no mises demonstrates in human action that a market is a necessary part of any functional community it's like hmm. yeah no that's a, that's just a fact um eventually this guy here hold on let me put this quote up real quick you also connect with academic aids and British dis the, the British and that British, British dissident, dissident right scene. I kind of am. Uh, I, I think would, gold gold guys in the British dissident right oh, scene. Yeah. I would and, I would yeah. love to get radical um, lib Ryan Turnips uh, Turnipseed. Ryan Turnipseed really really good. Yeah. He's a, we, but he's we, not British. He's technically not British. This is but he's in the British. academic agency. Yeah. yeah. Him and him, Stephen him Carson. Radical lib. Rad I would love to get Rad oh man. Rad lib. Radliff's also one of those guys like Bishop Barron where it's like, no way you're smart. You're like smart. You're like handsome, well-dressed, polite, well spoken. Mm -hmm. Like surely you're just like a boring programmer. It's like, no, no, he's really smart. His yes. introduction to philosophy was like reading all of Kierkegaard. Like mm. this is a really smart, and he doesn't show it. It's like, I didn't know, because I've also, I, you know, I've watched academic agencies before my reversion, and uh, especially Radlib, because I was an ANCAP before I reverted. So Radlib was also like more palatable than academic agent um whose political philosophy i'm not really aware of it's uh they yeah he doesn't really like labels so that's why yeah. i can't really classify him but you know radlib is an ancap and so he was always more palatable and i didn't know he was a christian until like way later and i think that helped as well in my reverse he's like he's a really really smart guy and like an awesome dad his feed is like a lot of the time is his, like picture of his children and it's all great and like him talking about his wife and his children like is always always amazing to hear so i'm like wow you know maybe i was wrong about this christianity stuff when i was 13 <laughs> maybe when i was 13 i didn't know everything huh fancy that 
Oh, dude. I, I, I was on Facebook recently. I saw some Facebook memories of my arguments with uh, my leftist friends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I still, how do I put this? I wasn't wrong on the position, but I was wrong in the way I was arguing it. Yes. <laughs> and I'm Many looking back cases. on it and it's like, no, I need to I need to fix that. Um, We've gone for an hour and 12 minutes. I want to put out an announcement before we wrap up and give you plugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, if I remember correctly, we've got an agreement from Anglo Libertarian from Twitter and mm-hmm. YouTube. He's gonna join us for our Tom Woods uh, sales in the market and our economics and one uh, economics and um, ethics and money production. Yeah, so we're gonna have a yes. great uh, an Austrian Catholic who's gonna join mm-hmm. us for those podcasts. So make sure you guys go subscribe to this channel, go find off on, on Spotify and subscribe as well because we're going to be covering once we get those and for those five proofs, and we kind of take we're gonna. I think what we're going to do is probably do philosophy, economics, philosophy, economics, and both tables mm-hmm. book, book reviews. Um, also, we'll probably do more. Eventually, I would love us to find a text of something we disagree with and critique it as we go along. Mm-hmm. Which might be phases of critique of Hopper, or it might be something else we find anything along the way. But mm-hmm. you're definitely going to subscribe and check those out. But uh, Belkov, uh, give us the plugs real quick if you're ready to wrap up. Uh, well, all my plugs are basically uh, at available username on Twitter or just search up Belkov's Bamoth. Um, and I write for the Ashrotomism or uh, Ashrotomism website. Uh, that's pretty much it. I don't have a personal Substack or anything, uh, or which I probably won't have for at least a long, long while. Uh, so that's pretty much it. So you can either find me at the Ashrotomism site, what I've written. I'll try to find to finish my article by next week. And on Twitter, I occasionally post stuff, but it's you know not that interesting. But yes, that's pretty much all. Well, guys, another episode of Face, Liberty, and Praxis this is a season one, episode 19. I believe I am 13 episodes away from 100 episodes. And so oh, wow. when 100 episodes hits, the 100 episode stream will be a 12-hour live stream with Poppin and our guests okay, and a book yeah. tour. And so um, make sure you say subscribe and check that out because uh, this book's here. There's a lot of great a lot of great books on these shelves and there's other books mm-hmm. over here. So I want to do a great book self tour and a lot of cool guests on hopefully for that. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go subscribe on follow me on Twitter at Kato549 and uh, go follow Austriotomism on Twitter at Austriotomism.com. Sorry, paleotomism.com because I still need to <laughs> I can't I've tried and I've tried. It won't let me change it, and I don't know why. Cause it said I d I'm not a computer nerd, so I don't uh-huh. know how to do any of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna call my friend who is over one day and have him just show me how to walk the website because <laughs> I can't figure it out. Well, lucky I'm able to publish anything, honestly, because I am this yes. computer I'm just a computer a little bit. Well, we'll get but, better um, as we go. Absolutely. Anyway, guys, uh thanks for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>